Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. All right, we have our Bible in this morning from Malachi 2. So join with me reading on the screen or on your own Bibles. Um, And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you'll be carried off with it. so funny. Um, And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty." Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates the divor- and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. You have um, wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, Where is the God of justice? Uh, Welcome, everyone. It's good to be here this morning, and I hope you're enjoying the service so far. Um, We're in Malachi. We're up to chapter 2 today. And um, let me just pray before we begin. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this chance to gather together. Lord, we just thank you for your word and what you're teaching us through the book of Malachi. As we unpack that a little bit more today, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us in our lives and that you would help us to become more more like you and to ultimately find our hope in you rather than anything else in life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, World War II was one of the most defining battles in the modern world. It was a time of great evil and tragedy, but in the end, a time of triumph and new hope for the world. 
In the heat of the battle, there was two famous men who were both incredibly gifted leaders. In Germany, there was a man that you would all know. His name was Adolf Hitler. He was intelligent, charismatic, and bold and courageous. As a young man, he was a very gifted artist. And through his leadership, he convinced and mobilized an entire nation to back his ideology, no matter how evil it was. And his communication style was said to be dynamic, inspiring, and convincing for those who heard him speak. He had a clear vision of world domination, and he led an army in pursuit of that vision. Even though history reveals that he became an evil dictator, a vindictive, nasty, power-hungry, and cruel man, there is no doubt he was a powerful leader. In England, on the other side of the conflict, was a man called Winston Churchill. He was a determined, gritty leader who was also a brilliant orator. A little man in stature, but a huge figure in history. He was known as a brilliant wartime strategist, well known for his extraordinary speeches that he used to inspire the embattled British to persevere in in face of what seemed like impossible odds. His most famous speech was given during the war to students of the high school he attended, and these are the words he said. He said, never give in. Never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or or petty, never give in except to convictions of honour and good sense. This is the kind of man Winston Churchill was, the inspiring, determined, dynamic and courageous leader, the man who was willing to stand and stare down Adolf Hitler to save the world from the Nazi regime. Two leaders, both incredibly gifted, both similar in the gifts they possessed both leading their nation, with the vast majority of their nation loyally committed to their cause, both with a grand vision for the future. One used their leadership gift for unspeakable evil, and the other used the gift of leadership to bring justice and peace to the world. And what it demonstrates is the power, or perhaps a better word, the responsibility of leadership. Today is week two of our series through the book of Malachi. And the focus of chapter two, really when you boil it down, is leadership. There are many examples in our world of leadership. There are people in our world that lead in incredible ways and do amazing things with their life. And they're a great example of leadership for us. At the same time, there are people in our world who do awful things, evil things, treacherous things that we can look at and we can learn a lot from them as well. There are many leaders that we can look to in our world. Not only are there many examples of leadership, but there are many ideas of leadership. Lots of people have different ideas on what it is to be a good leader in the corporate world and in the spiritual world and and in life in general. Everyone's got a different idea on what it takes to be a leader. But what we've got to remember, and I think what Malachi chapter 2 reminds us of, is that the Word of God is our ultimate source of wisdom when it comes to what is expected from spiritual leaders. Some of us here will no doubt see themselves as leaders, and some of you may not see yourself that way, but whether you have the responsibility of leadership or you're following someone else in a position of leadership, it's very important to be clear on what God expects from leaders. Most of us have probably experienced good and bad leadership in life. Who here has ever had a bad boss? Marie, put your hand down. (laughs) Most of us have had probably a good or a bad boss. I remember my first job was a, I had a terrible boss. 
You know, I think the leader in a workplace will often determine the culture that you experience, and a, a good boss can create an atmosphere where people are free to creatively learn and grow, the kind of culture where people feel loved and cared for and appreciated. And in that kind of environment, at times, it doesn't even feel like work because it's a place you love to be. But if you have a bad boss, it can be exactly the opposite, and it can be miserable. And when I first went into the workforce, I was 14 years of age, I had the worst boss I've ever had. He was a miserable, terrible boss. My first job was a clean-up kid in a butcher shop. And let me tell you, it's a miracle that I'm not a vegan after that particular experience. The boss was a monster, and the example he led led a terrible culture. On the days when I was coming in, the boss and the main butchers used to think it was funny to splat eyeballs on the wall for me to clean up when I arrived. And they would do all sorts of horrible stuff in there, and I'd get there, you'd never know what to expect. And from the moment I entered the shop and right throughout my shift, there was an immense amount of pressure. I had sinks full of dishes and they just kept coming all night. I had to clean the mincing machines, sweep the floors, pick up the salt off the floors. And I'd be running from the start of my shift till the end of my shift. And they would be on me the whole time. Go, go, go. Faster, faster, faster. And they would yell and they would swear. And even when I got a brief break for about 15 minutes in the tea room, I would sit down and the walls were covered in pornographic material. It was just a terrible culture. It was a terrible place to work. At the rear of the store, they had a big walk-in freezer. And in the freezer were all the carcasses of the animals hanging from hooks. And the blood would drain from the animals and it would go down a central drain in the middle of this walk-in freezer. And on a number of occasions, I walked in and I caught the boss urinating down the drain. And because it was so cold in there, the steam would rise up amongst the carcasses. It was absolutely disgusting. At the end of the night, they would often say, now, would you want to take some meat home for your family? And I would say, no, because I like my family. And I know what happens to that meat. I would witness the head cashier dropping steak on the ground in the salt and the dirt and picking it up while no one's looking, brushing it off and then putting it back on the display for the next customer. It was a terrible culture to work within. There was nothing about that workplace that was enjoyable. In fact, I'll never forget the concrete corridor I had to walk down to get to the back of that shop. It was dark, it was cold, it was filthy, and every time I arrived at that door and opened it up to enter the hustle and bustle of that shop, I felt like crying. A toxic culture that flowed directly from the leadership in that place. Leadership is important in the workplace. It's vital for a nation. And so how much more critical is leadership amongst God's people where eternity is at stake? In the book of Malachi, there was a leadership crisis in the midst of a spiritual crisis. In fact, what we see is that the spiritual crisis, in a large part, flowed directly from the leadership crisis amongst the priests, the very men who were meant to be leading God's people. In times of crisis throughout the Old Testament, God would send prophets. And prophets were God's mouthpiece. They were people sent by God to bring a warning to his people as an act of God's grace. In Scripture, there were major prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. And there's a whole bunch of minor prophets, about 12 of them in total, who essentially came with the same message. Malachi was the last of these prophets. And the message was to God's people that God was warning them to turn from their wickedness, 
to act with justice, to come back to relationship with God, because if they didn't, the consequences was going to be judgment from him. Malachi, as I said a moment ago, was the very last of these prophets in the Old Testament, and he comes in this passage, chapter 2, with a very direct warning to the spiritual leaders to turn back to God. The name Malachi means my messenger. And this man was God's messenger to deliver a message to God's people. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says this, a prophecy, the word of the Lord, God's word, to Israel, God's people, through Malachi, God's messenger. And so what was going on for the people of God in Malachi's time that required God to send a prophet to warn them? Well, if you missed last week's sermon, Graham preached a great message, and I would strongly recommend that you go back and listen to that message. And he did an outstanding job of placing this book in its historical context. He took us on a history lesson all the way back to Genesis and all the way through until we got to this point at the point of Malachi. And it was a wonderful message. This morning, I'm not going to take us all the way back there again, but I think it's important to recap the immediate historical context of this particular time. And why leaders were so crucial with what God's people were going through. God's people had gone through a time of judgment. It was God's judgment due to their constant disobedience. As we look at the Old Testament, we see over and over again in response to God's faithfulness that God's people had consistently been unfaithful to him. They broke God's law. They broke the covenant. They worshipped false idols. They were unjust and unkind to one another and to their neighbours. And they failed to represent God in the way that he'd asked them to. And when he sent the prophets to warn them, well, even then they failed to heed the warning. Jeremiah was one of those major prophets prior to Malachi. And his message to God's people was that if they didn't change their ways, they would be judged by God and they'd be destroyed by invaders who would come to them from the north. And so when, as per usual, they ignored the prophetic warning, that's exactly what happened. Babylon, the superpower of the day, attacked Jerusalem three times, first in 605 BC, then 597 BC, and then finally destroying the temple and wiping out the city in 586 BC, where it carried the remaining of God's people out of the promised land into exile and captivity in a foreign land where they became subjects of the Babylonian Empire. And they remained there as subjects of this empire for about 70 years. Babylon remained as the superpower of the day until they were finally overthrown by the Persians in the year 539 BC. And when they came into power, the king of the Persian Empire was a guy called Cyrus. He was a lot more sympathetic towards the Israelites, and he issued a decree allowing God's people to return to Jerusalem into the Promised Land and rebuild. And so we see in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the walls around the city. And so the great hope, as we come to the end of the Old Testament, was that God's people would be back in God's place under God's rule. And in Malachi, that's exactly what should have been happening. God had proved himself faithful in so many supernatural ways. And so when they returned to the land, their hopes were high, and it really should have been a wonderful time of celebration, a time of prosperity, a time of spiritual renewal for the people of God. But it'd be fair to say that it fell well short of their expectations. Have you ever had an experience that fell short of expectations? It's disappointing, isn't it? A couple of months ago, Kim and I had a few days off and we went and stayed in Druin. 
And a few days we went before we went, I heard for the millionth time someone in a sermon reference the Lord of the Rings. And I thought, you know what? It's about time I finally go and see these movies. I'd never seen them before. I thought I should go and see them. We're going away. And so I said to Kim, I'm going to go and I'm going to borrow all three of the Lord of the Ring movies. And while we're away with some time, we're going to watch all the Lord of the Rings together. Now, I know what you're thinking. How romantic. That's exactly what I was thinking as well. So we got the DVDs and we headed down there. Uh, we sat down for the first one. We got a cup of coffee and some chocolate to dunk in the coffee. It's kind of like movie essentials. And we sat down to watch the first Lord of the Rings movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. And I've got to say, I was excited. Couldn't wait to watch this movie. I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. My expectations were incredibly high. And so we pressed play on the DVD player. And the movie, got fair to say, was slow to start. You know, it started off slowly. And I thought, well, that's okay. It'll probably get better as we go along. And then it went on. And it went on, and it went on, and I thought, I hate sci-fi, but this one's going to be different. So I persevered, and it went on, and it went on, and it went on. And if this is on Facebook, I need to warn you, I would write something like this, unpopular opinion, right? Because there's an unpopular opinion that's about to be you know, coming from my mouth. And the unpopular opinion is this. I've seen some bad movies in my time. <laughs> but I don't reckon I've ever seen one worse than The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. In fact, it's the only movie that has ever completely wiped me out. I couldn't even finish it. I could not literally stay awake. I said to Kim, I know, I'm really sorry, I just can't do this. I know it's the middle of the day, but I have literally got to go to bed. And I got up and I walked out, I went into the bedroom, I went straight to sleep. I left Kim to endure the last half an hour of this painful saga, and it was so boring she couldn't even remember the ending. I mean, people say it's a cinematic masterpiece, but it's not because it's a good movie. It's because they took something they could have made interesting in an hour and a half, and they stretched it over four hours that it became so boring and so long that it can literally cure insomnia. <laughs> I probably don't need to go on and tell you that we didn't get to number two or number three. Number one was more than enough. My experience fell well short of my expectations. And that's a very superficial example, although I think it would be quicker to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem than watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But I think it's a very superficial example of how God's people were feeling as they arrived back in Jerusalem. They were experiencing this feeling of disappointment and this expectation that was unrealized at a level that was much greater than my Lord of the Rings experience. God's people were back in God's place, but they weren't experiencing the blessings that they felt they deserved. And so by the time we get to Malachi, they've been back in the Promised Land for around about 100 years. It's 100 years after they've returned from exile, and things are an absolute mess. The blessings they had expected were not eventuating in any way imaginable. The new temple was physically and spiritually inferior to the old one. As Graham alluded to last week, the younger people were happy. They were kind of like, yay, a temple. But the older people, they were shattered. They were weeping, they were mourning, and they were probably saying things like, when we were young, in the good old days, 
And they were harking back to the glory days of Solomon's temple where there was this magnificent temple and the presence of God filled the temple and there was this spiritual vitality and health and joy. And as they looked at that and as they thought about that and as they compared it to what they were currently experiencing, it was like chalk and cheese. It just didn't stack up. And there was a sense, a real sense of disappointment. And they started to blame God for their situation. In fact, they also doubted God's love for them, as we saw in chapter 1. From an economical point of view, the nation was also really struggling. In chapter 3, we see that there was drought and there was famine and their crops were failing. It was diabolical in Jerusalem. And as bad as all of that was, what was even worse was the spiritual condition of the people's hearts. God had done so much good stuff for them, brought them back into the land in such miraculous ways, and yet the spiritual condition of their hearts was in absolute turmoil. We saw in chapter 1 that the people were bringing dodgy sacrifices to God. The Lord said that you were to bring your very best, or your first of your flock and your herds, and they were bringing like the cows with three legs and the dodgy sheep and the goats that you know, had one eye, and they were bringing those to God and saying, well, God, these are the leftovers and the scraps and the ones we'll never use, and so our act of worship is just to give those to you. That'll do. That's our act of worship. And what it revealed is a, a heart of worship that was ho-hum, that was going through the motions, that was not the kind of wholehearted worship that God expects from his people. And it's a challenge for us, isn't it? We never should come to worship on a weekend half-hearted, coming to God and saying, oh, well, the leftover of my time, my energy, and the change I've got in my pocket, I'll, I'll just give that to you. God is looking for people who are so in awe of him that they bring their whole life as living sacrifices, as Graham preached last week, to the God who has given everything for us. And so their worship was diabolical. In the second half of the chapter we read today, chapter 2, we see another indication of their poor spiritual health and it rears its ugly head within their marriages. Now we know from Scripture that marriage is a wonderful gift that God has given to us, that God designed marriage. We also know from Scripture that he hates divorce. And from a New Testament perspective, we understand that our marriages are designed by God to be a very visible example of the loving relationship that exists between Jesus and his church. So in a world where marriages are breaking down at record rates and people are divorcing one another, the marriages of Christians should be a beacon of light to the world around us. That they would look at our marriages and see the way that we unconditionally love one another. They would see the way that we self-sacrificially serve one another. And as they look at the relationship we are in, these covenant relationships of love, they would see a reflection of the love of Christ in and through our lives as we reflect back to the love that he has shown us. But for these men in Malachi too, they were taking this beautiful gift of marriage. And instead of laying their lives down for these women that they were meant to cherish, they were divorcing them like they were disposable. Not only were they divorcing their wives, but they were marrying new women, foreign women, who worshipped false gods. And as a result, they were setting the next generation down another path completely away from God. Imagine for a second that half the men here at Follow started divorcing their wives and started marrying women from other faiths. Can you imagine if we started marrying women that were Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and Mormons and then 
then the, the men started having kids with these women and then the kids would start following all these other gods and the whole next generation just walked away from God and here at Follow, we didn't need Follow kids anymore because there was no kids growing up to know the Lord. That would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? That would reveal something about the spiritual condition of our hearts and of our church. And this is exactly what was happening. God's people were back in God's place, but they were refusing to live under God's rule and the nation was in a spiritual mess. And so we could be left wondering as we read all of this, how on earth had God's people wandered so far from him after all that he had done for them? But as we flip the chapter, the page, into chapter 2 of Malachi, Malachi clearly articulates what the issue was, and the issue was poor leadership. The people were like sheep without a shepherd because the very ones who were meant to be their spiritual leaders, the priests, were the very ones that were leading them astray. In the Old Testament, the priests had two main functions. The first one is that they were meant to mediate between the people and God by making sacrifices on their behalf to atone for their sins. The second purpose of the priests was to keep, to read, to teach, and to apply the law of Moses to the people. And it's clear in Malachi that they were neglecting both of these roles. In verse 2, it tells us that the priests, they weren't listening to God. And they weren't honouring his name and they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders. Let me tell you, you cannot lead people where you're not prepared to go yourself. These priests were not leading the people because they weren't going to God. That's precisely why prophets were needed. If the priests were performing their roles, the prophets wouldn't need to call the people back to relationship with God because the priests would have already led them there, but they had it and so God sent prophets. I want to say this morning that when it comes to spiritual leadership, who you choose to follow is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make in your life. These priests had led the people astray, the entire nation, and Malachi the prophet now brings them a very strong warning. We pick it up in verse 1. He says this, he says, Now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you. And I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. This is where Adam laughed. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord God Almighty. God is literally saying to these priests that if you don't listen to get your attention, I'm going to take animal poo and I'm going to rub it in your face. A couple of weeks ago, I shared that I did Tough Mudder, 16K obstacle course through some paddocks in Gippsland. And I've got to say, there was a lot of mud out there, but there was almost as much cow poo. I don't know what cows do all day, but from what I could see, they pretty much eat and poop. It's kind of like in, out, in, out, and that's what they do. And everywhere we went through the paddocks, there was just cow poo absolutely everywhere. And some of the obstacles we were crawling through kind of looked like mud, but they smelled a lot like something else. And so we would crawl through these obstacles. There was one obstacle, it was a a tarpaulin tunnel, and there's this tunnel you'd crawl through, and there's water on top of the tarpaulin, and so it would bulge in different areas. It would bulge like that. And so there'd be a gap about this big between the dirt, the mud, and the tarpaulin, and there's all the water on top of it. So you have to kind of force your way through and get a run-up, but you couldn't help 
but drag your face along the mud as you were crawling underneath that tarpaulin. At that stage, it didn't feel like tough mud. It certainly didn't smell like it. It smelled more like tough pua. And I came out with what may have been mud or it may have been something else, but it certainly made me think about what I was doing. For example, I kept my mouth shut as I was crawling through that tunnel. And it seems like God's using a very similar tactic. For hundreds of years, the prophets have been saying the same things over and over again, and yet the people and the priests just weren't getting it. And so God is saying, I'm going to get your attention. And if I have to rub animal dung in your face to get you to listen, then it may sound humiliating and it may sound harsh, but if it finally gets the message through, then it will actually be an act of grace. And so before I do that, I'm sending you, the leaders of my people, this warning. You're not listening to my voice. You're not honouring my name. Wake up, because I want my covenant, my promise made to Levi, to continue. And so Malachi highlights Levi and the tribes of the Levite priests who had honoured God in the past, and he holds them up as an example in contrast to the priests of his time. And he uses them as an example of what a godly leader should look like. You know, sometimes we go on a search to look for a church, don't we? And we often wonder what the kids' program's like. And we wonder how good is the youth group. And we think, what's the music going to be like? And are the seats going to be comfortable? And is it a place where I can serve? And, and all those things are things to consider when you're looking at a church. But something we often don't consider enough is the state of the leadership. What's the leadership like in this church? This is where this passage is so relevant for us today because it gives us some key things to look for in spiritual leaders to determine whether they are worth following or not. The first one to look for is for leaders who are in awe of God. Levi, verse 5, it said, Levi had reverence and revered me and stood in awe of my name. You know, there's some leaders out there that are in awe of themselves, right? We've all seen those leaders. They think they're amazing. They'll tell you they're amazing. They tell you about all the achievements they've had. But the best question to ask when following a, a spiritual leader is this, are they really in awe of God? Because leaders worth following are leaders who have an obvious and consistent love, reverence, and respect of God. Now, I think there's a whole lot of motivations for people to step into leadership, both in the world and in the church. And I've seen a lot of them sort of play out. Some people want to be in leadership because there's a sense of prestige about being a leader. I, I want to be a person who can say, I'm the leader. I get the badge. I'm the man or woman of God. I have status. I have position. So for some people, leadership is all about the prestige. For others, it's about the power. If I'm a leader, I can be the boss. I can control people. I have the authority to make decisions. For others, it's the glory. They want the applause for everything they do. They want to be recognized and thanked all the time. They want people to know their name. They want their name up in blazing lights. It's all about the glory. For others, it's about the glamour. I think this is particularly important for young people thinking about going into ministry. We often look at ministry and we go, wow, it looks glamorous. I get to stand up and preach and I get to lead. And let me tell you what I've learned in ministry. The glamour of ministry is about that much of it. And underneath the surface is just a lot of hard work. And let me tell you another little secret. I'm going to pop that little balloon this morning. The glamorous parts are not that glamorous. 
In fact, the only thing that will keep you in ministry is a sense of calling from God that flows directly from a real sense of awe of the one that we're serving. And so as you look to spiritual leaders, ask the question, are they people who are in awe of God? Because leaders worth following are not the ones who are in it for prestige or power, glamour or glory, but those who are so in awe of God that they would lay their lives down in service of him. These people won't be looking for glory for themselves, but rather deflecting their glory to God. The second thing that he says to look for is to look for people who love the truth. It sounds like a no-brainer in the church, doesn't it, that we should be people who love the church. And in verse 6 it says, True instruction was in Levi's mouth and nothing false was on his lips. I've been in a church context before where there was a whole lot of things being whispered all the time that weren't true. And let me tell you, it was the most toxic, damaging culture I've ever found myself as part of. People did not have truth on their lips. But Jesus says that a time is coming and has now come where true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. Psalm 119 says the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I love the advice that the Apostle Paul gives to a young Timothy who's early in his ministry life. He says this. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Listen to this bit. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I think we've seen today in this sermon and throughout history the power of words for both good and evil. The tongue carries the power of life and death, and it's easy to go and find a motivational speaker, someone who's charismatic and funny. But what is most important is that you become a leader and follow leaders who have the word of truth in their hearts and flowing from their lips. People with true instruction in their mouth. Not worldly principles, not good ideas, but God's word. And so we need to look for people, spiritual leaders who love the truth. Thirdly, people who walk with God. Most of you would know that I have a miniature bull terrier at home. His name's Darcy. And what I've noticed is that Darcy never wants to walk where I want to walk. And so when I walk him nearly every morning except Sundays, I get him on the lead and we've tried all sorts of different leads, ones that go around his mouth and one at the moment strapped around his stomach and you pull from the back. And wherever I want to go, he always pulls the opposite direction. And so I'm constantly (laughs) dragging him back to where we're going for the walk. He's very disobedient. He doesn't want to walk where I want to walk. We don't want a leader like that. You don't want a leader who's constantly walking in a different direction to God. You want leaders, or the leaders that are worth following are leaders who are walking with God. They're not pulling in a different direction, but through intimacy they are close to God, keeping in step with Him. Galatians chapter 5 verse 2 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so how do you know if a spiritual leader is in step with the Spirit? Well, the preceding verses to that particular passage outlines the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you're putting yourself under a spiritual leader, you want to make sure that they're keeping in step with the Spirit, and the proof of that will be the fruit of their lives. The final thing is to 
follow a leader who will turn people away from their sin. You ever notice that sin's a very unpopular topic these days, even in churches? We don't want to talk about sin because that's offensive to people. People often don't want to believe that they're sinners, but the book of Romans clearly tells us that all have sinned, and the punishment of sin is death. And so true leaders, with God's help, are seeking to defeat sin in their own lives and to turn others away from their sin as well. So if you're following a leader who's more concerned about being popular and more worried about offending someone than they are to challenge people to turn from their sin and to come to Jesus, they are not a spiritual leader worth following. And follow, we won't be perfect leaders. We'll make mistakes, we'll fall short of our own standard, let alone God's at times. And I'm sure there'll be times where you may even feel let down. But we want to strive to be these kind of leaders, to look at a checklist like this and say, these are the kind of leaders that we want to be. And I want to give you some advice today. If it ever gets to the point of following, you think that we are not these kind of leaders, my advice to you is to leave and to find someone who is. Because the leaders you choose to follow in your life, the spiritual leaders, is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Malachi was the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Malachi's message was the last message before the first Christmas when Jesus Christ entered the world. And it's the perfect book to conclude the Old Testament because it highlights that all the sacrificial system and the law had not helped us to be people who follow God. People had not kept the law. They had not followed God or honoured his name. God says he's no longer going to accept their worship. He wants their temple shut down and their useless sacrifices to cease. In effect, he is shutting down the old covenant of law to make way for a greater covenant of grace that's to be found in Christ. If Malachi teaches us anything, it's the insufficiency of the old covenant to keep us in relationship with God. The old covenant was only ever a temporary way to worship, always pointing to a greater fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And it reminds us that if our hope is in a temple, if our hope is in a priest, if our hope is in a leader, if our hope is in anything else that we can do ourselves, there's actually no hope at all. Our only hope is Jesus. And what we learn as we flick the page from Malachi into the New Testament is that Jesus is our great high priest. We don't need other priests anymore to mediate between us and God because Jesus is our great high priest. In fact, he's the only mediator between us and God. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. And so if we want to come into relationship with God the Father, we only do it by coming into relationship through God the Son accepting what he did for us. He is our great high priest. Not only is he here the high priest, but he's also the perfect once and for all sacrifice. He's the priest and he's the one on the altar. He's the one that nulled and voided the whole sacrificial system. It was all fulfilled through his death on the cross. The perfect blameless son of God who was sacrificed on our behalf, paying the debt for our sins and opening up the opportunity of forgiveness through faith in him. So we don't need priests anymore. But God does give us leaders. And leaders worth following are leaders in awe of God. Leaders who love truth. Leaders who walk with God. Leaders who turn people from sin. But most of all, leaders worth following are leaders who point us to Jesus. We need Jesus to bring hope in this world as much as any other time in history. 
And our job as spiritual leaders, your job as a spiritual leader, is to point people to him. That's why he's our vision. And that's why our mission at Follow is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. It's challenging, it's convicting, it stretches us. And today, as we consider the state of the nation of God's people and we consider the Christian world today, we know that in many ways it's a mess. And you are raising up leaders, leaders who will be in awe of you, leaders who will love the truth, leaders who will walk with you in intimacy, and leaders who will point away from themselves and to you. Lord, I pray for the leaders in this church that you would help us to be those kind of leaders. And I pray for the people in this church who follow spiritual leaders, whether it's a pastor or a mentor or a person you look up to, that we would be wise and discerning in the people we follow. Because we know the gift of leadership is an incredible gift. And it comes with an incredible power and a huge responsibility. And leaders can lead us to you or they can lead us astray. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the kind of leaders you want us to be, that we would point people to you and we would see people come to know you in the years to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info@follow.church, and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.